0: Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah.
1: Live from Linux Fest Northwest, show floor, the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1 855 450 NOAA. That's 1 855 450 6624. Give me a call and we'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business in tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, and now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. So, we are live from Linux Fest Northwest, and the energy here is awesome, guys. This is the first true on-location broadcast of the Ask Noah show, and we have a doozy of a show packed for you. We are streaming live on Linux. Every production machine here is running Linux. Our entire team has worked extremely hard, and despite some playful kidding about bringing Macs online, I think we're all pretty happy with the end result. You see, I have a personal conviction. I have to eat my own dog food because if I'm going to come and sit down in this chair and put my voice through this microphone every week and tell you that you should consider using Linux as your daily driver, then I have no choice but to do that myself. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have challenges on Linux. Of course, there are challenges on Linux, just like there are challenges on Mac OS or Windows. But you know what, guys? For every problem that we've had to solve on Linux, there's a problem that we're not solving on macOS or Windows. So, for example, we're not dealing with activation systems this weekend. We're not dealing with 32-bit software this weekend. We're not dealing with a hardware vendor that requires you to purchase their hardware before we can broadcast, and most importantly, we are participating in the community. The community. See, that's what this is all about to me. That's the bigger picture here, because once you get past the nitty-gritty the technical details at the end of the day that's not lasting technology changes it evolves software becomes irrelevant the companies that produce the software become irrelevant but the personal community relationships those are everlasting it's about community open phones this hour one eight five five four five zero no that's one eight five five four five zero six six two four by the way great news guys if you have been asking about how to call in internationally. We have a new system for you. Thanks to Chase Nunes, technical operator, broadcast engineer, uh, stage hand grip director, program director, audio engineer, and uh, video camera operator, depending on which hat he has on. He came up with a system that we are able to take international calls through Skype. Turns out if you sign up for a Skype account without even having to pay for the phone service, you are able to place toll-free calls. And of course, that number one eight five five four five zero. No, that's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. That is a toll-free call. So if you are overseas and you would like to place a call, phone lines are open right now, you can place a call through Skype. So that's what we're recommending you do. Of course, Skype is available for Windows, Mac OS and Linux. So it doesn't matter what operating system you're on. In fact, it's available for iOS and Android. So if you want to place a call and get on the air, In the next hour, go ahead and do that. And, of course, we'll be live again on Monday, so you have another chance coming up in just a couple of days. That'll be at our normal time, 6 p.m. Central, 4 p.m. Pacific. If you are at Linux Fest Northwest, we'd invite you to come by the booth. I would love to chat with you in person. Mike is stopping by the Ask Noah Show booth to ask a question about Raspberry Pi's running MySQL. He's having a problem. You see, Mike set up a MySQL database on a Raspberry Pi, and it works great. For just a couple of days but after a couple of days what happens is the database crashes and he'd like to know how we can help him solve this problem on his raspberry pi so that those databases don't crash now mike asked this question while we were live at linux fest northwest but thanks to the magic of live broadcasting his microphone wasn't all the way on and so his question didn't quite get recorded so in the magic of post-production i'm coming back to you to read this question so you know what Mike was asking when he was live at the booth. Of course, we're taking your calls live. One eight five five four five zero Noah. That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. Well, I'll tell you. Here's the first thing that comes. I'll start with this. The answer to your question is, I'm not a MySQL expert, but I know one. And so I can put you in contact with, uh, with one of the gentlemen that helps out with the Ask Noah show. He knows like, everything there is to know about MySQL. In fact, databases in general, uh, probably more so than the people that wrote them. And I will put you, give you his contact information, and you can reach out to him, and he'd be able to answer how to fix the MySQL-specific problem. Now, speaking to the larger issue about the Raspberry Pi crashing because it ran out of memory, <laughs> I have found that Raspberry Pis in production are notoriously unreliable. In fact, right now we are live on KEQQ80.3 LPFM in Grand Forks. And that station, when they originally started, I, in my eagerness to be on the cutting edge, tried to get some elaborate stream stuff working. And we tried to use one of the Raspberry Pis to just receive an RTMP stream. Turns out a Raspberry Pi is not capable of just continuously playing a stream without crashing after three or four days. So we went to another device. There are, that's not to say that the ARM architecture, though, isn't capable of that. Do you have any reason to believe that it is a, a MySQL-specific thing, like have you tried a similar setup on a full desktop? Um,
2: technically, yes, I did use a virtual machine to get a good general idea of mm-hmm. what to expect from the whole system.. Yeah.
1: So, and did you run into the same issue?:
2: uh, Not exactly, because I didn't exactly run the, uh, the virtual machine that long, obviously, oh, okay. so.
1: So it may have succumbed to the same issue had you run it long enough? Well,
2: probably. I'm not 100% sure. I can't really yeah, sure. think of 100% sure on that type of thing, but probably. So here
1: would be my suggestion. If you, if you insist on using the Raspberry Pi, then I, like I said, I'll put you in contact with, a, um, uh, with a, a guy that knows a lot more about MySQL than I do. And he'll be able to tell you exactly how to troubleshoot the specific database that you have. Um, in general though, I would suggest if you're if you're using this in production, if it's anything even remotely important to you, I would suggest looking at some other ARM devices, and there are plenty out there, a lot of which are specifically designed for production applications, and so they, the Raspberry Pi, you have to remember, it was it was originally designed, and for those of you that may not know, the Raspberry Pi was originally designed as a device for learning. So you would take underprivileged children that may have not had access to a computer, and now for $35 we were able to provide them with a fully functioning desktop. And it's a remarkable device, and it has revolutionized the computing industry, but it also has enabled a lot of people to come up with a pet project and be able to put it forward without necessarily having the resources that you would have had to have 10 or 15 years ago. And I think what that has led to is a lot of applications that run on the Pi or a lot of implementations of the Pi not being as um, solid and robust and stable as they could be otherwise. Does that make sense to you? Uh, for the for, for the most part,
2: yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I am <laughs> very much aware how the Raspberry Pi uh, started out. Yeah, okay. In, in cool. fact, the whole thing that I'm doing with the Raspberry Pi was kind of more or less a kind of a learning project for me.
1: Okay, cool.
2: So I should, probably should start thinking about taking a look at other ARM-like devices then.
1: Yeah that, yeah, that would be my suggestion. Hey, thanks a lot for joining me on the air. I really appreciate having you. Thank you for having me on. No worries. 1-855-450-NOAA. That's one 450 6624 Give me a call and we'll get you on the air. Now, I always have a blast coming out to this event, but this trip in particular has given me an epiphany. The elephant in the room the past couple of weeks has been Apple and Mac OS. And for a couple of reasons. The first is because they've obviously announced their new hardware that's going to be coming out, and they are going to correct a lot of the things that people railed on them for the past couple of weeks. Why do we keep seeing pictures of Max at conferences? Why do we see them so often? And why do every conference I go to, I seem to see a glowing Apple coming down the, uh, you know, coming by the coming by the show floor? And the real question that that leads to is a very scary one, and it's one that we asked on Sunday on last, and it's one I'm going to ask to you today, and that is. How big of a threat is macOS to the Linux desktop? Companies like Linux, and if you're in the server architecture, it's the de facto standard. You're looking at 95, 98% of servers are all running on Linux. And that's because it's the best at what it does. It's a great server operating system. But more importantly than that, maybe not more importantly, but more relevant than that, is there is a lot of money in the Linux server ecosystem. Companies make a lot of money by having reliable uptime. And so they have put a lot of money into the Linux ecosystem on the server side to form a, a de facto standard. Now, on the Linux desktop, that just doesn't exist. We don't get a lot of funding for the Linux desktop. And it's a chicken, you can call it a chicken or the egg argument, but the reality is the world that we live in today is that you are an underdog if you are using the Linux desktop. You are, because you are not. You don't have the backing of large companies dumping hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars into that infrastructure because they frankly don't make a lot of money off of it. So it very much does take a second class seat. Now, hopefully with the with the advancements that Dell is doing, with the advancements that Editsure is doing, hopefully that's changing. But right now, that's the boat we're in. And Chris and I have picked up and dropped this conversation all weekend like a hot potato. But it wasn't until I was setting up the soundboard for the all-new, completely redesigned, Linux-powered studio at JB1 that I had a revelation, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. There are those of you that would say, don't treat computers like a religion. And that phrase is starting to grate on me more and more. And the reason is because as I sat there installing soundboard software, I realized something. I was going to have to install the software at my studio, because the software was that good, and it fundamentally enabled me to do something I'm not able to do now. And then I started to think about the chain of events that occurred for that software to come into existence. Chris Fisher, owner and operator of jupiterbroadcasting.com, has put his time, his money, his blood, and his sweat into getting on the air and starting one of the most successful Linux podcasts of all times. And that brought entertainment to hundreds of thousands of people, including a Linux developer. And that Linux developer answered the call loud and clear when Chris asked him, or soundboard software that he was going to need on Linux. That developer gave back to the community. He was a part of that community and he was getting entertainment from it. But now now he was a contributor. And in one of life's little ironies, the developer who now is now directly responsible for the for an essential tool that fundamentally enhances Chris's ability to produce the very entertainment that drew him into the community in the first place. And there I sat like a fly on a wall in G- JB- JB1 I wasn't responsible for the creation of JB. I wasn't responsible for the creation of the soundboard. But at the same time, I was copying the package build onto my USB thumb drive so I could install and use this software on my computer back in Grand Forks. And it hit me. This is why it matters. This is why I care. This is why I'm passionate. Because Chris could have taken the use-whatever-works-for-you approach to the tool. He could have made a podcast about Macs. Could have made a podcast about PCs. God knows in 2006 when he started last, either would have been far more popular than, as a desktop than even it is today. That Linux developer who wrote that soundboard, he could have just used the tools that worked. He could have developed an iOS app. He could have developed a Mac app. But they didn't. They both went out on a limb and they worked in unison within the community and for the community. And now every podcaster on Linux is going to have a professional-grade soundboard And what project, what thing are they going to create? How will that thing, or whatever it is they create, how will that benefit us all? And the cycle will continue. The board is called um, Caster Soundboard, and it is available on our Jupyter Broadcasting GitHub. We put out a request on Sunday and Monday for a couple of changes, and within hours, we had the changes we absolutely needed. Within days, we had changes we hadn't even asked for, but drastically improved the usability of the software, bringing it to where it was, when he was using it on macOS and now we are talking about an entire server client relationship where he will be able to control the software modify the software use the software across a network which is a feature that wasn't even considered in the original version that's all because of the community it's because they bothered to give a rip it's because they didn't just say use it works take the easy way out wake up Linux users this is this is this is my lesson today and and this has been my lesson really the whole week is what i've seen is wake up apple is fighting for their user base they are not telling people in the apple store just use what works for you they the genius bar is not saying don't treat our products like a religion they have they are fighting tooth and nail to get people on their platform and if we don't fight for our user base if we don't fight for our user base we are going to lose those users and with every lost user that's one less set of eyes on code that's More importantly, one less user statistic for software vendors to look at and have a reason to make software that works on Linux. If you are one of the just use what works people, then you better not expect Linux software to come to you. You can't expect software vendors to bring something to your platform. If you want a better desktop experience, then you better be fighting for it day in and day out because that is how we better our experience on the Linux desktop. That's how we get the attention of software vendors. This I'll use Linux over here, and I don't care how many people join me. And just uh, just use whatever. I, I think that's a real danger in our community. Again, open phones one eight five five four five zero Noah. That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. Jonathan is calling calling from Guatemala. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey
0: Noah. How's Jonathan. Going,
1: man? Hi Jonathan. How are you?
0: Uh... How
1: about you? Jonathan. How's it going? Good. Good. Yeah? Hello? How can we help, Jonathan? Oh. Yes, I think we're on a bit of a delay uh, well, because you're calling from Guatemala. How are you today? Uh,
0: uh, well, yeah, I'm doing fine. Um, thanks. Uh, yeah, I think that delay might be because I'm actually doing a voice call, but I just wanted to uh, say hi and thank you and all of the rest of the JB team for the Linux Action Show for having us run through all of these years because um, it, it has really meant a for me. I know that, I know that. that if it weren't for you guys, actually wouldn't have even uh, remained on arch, yeah, arch to tell you the truth.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, we're really happy to hear that. Are you going to tune in for the last last that's coming up uh, tomorrow?
0: So, yeah, I, I hope to be able to, to be right here. Actually, I'm, I'm in the chat room also, my name is uh, Latchoke KDS. You remember me from the, a couple of weeks ago that uh, we were chatting about the uh, podcast versus, uh, I can't remember the name of the current that you use, but mm-hmm. the other one that's also very popular on, on Android. Android.
1: Well, fantastic. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. I really appreciate having you. Thank you so much for the call. Um, I think it's going to be a really exciting show. So it's definitely one you're going to want to tune into tomorrow live if you can. That would be fantastic. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to say hi. We, we appreciate having you on the Ask Noah Show. Again, One eight five five four five zero 450 noaa It's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. 450 6624 Sweet Lou is calling from Pennsylvania. Hi, Sweet Lou. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show.
0: Hey, how's it going? How are you doing today?
1: Pretty good. How can we help, Louis?
0: Hi. Hey, given that the series finale of the Linux Action Show is going to be airing tomorrow, I just wanted to ask you, what is your favorite episode of all time of last?
1: My favorite episode all time of last. Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. I think that all of them have something I really liked about it. I guess one of the most memorable episodes of last is probably the first episode I ever did. And the the reason isn't just because it was the first episode I ever did. I mean, certainly that left its mark, but it was a very exciting time because I flew out to Seattle and I was there for four or five days and I spent the first couple of days just kind of Chris taking me under his wing and learning how to do things. And then Sunday rolled around and we went to go live. And I did my first Linux action show, which was actually far easier than I thought it was going to be. Chris planned the whole thing, and so I just kind of had to sit on the periphery. And then immediately following that, yeah. we, went, we went to uh, the faux show, and I did the faux show with Angela. So it was kind of a faux show sandwich mixed in with two Linux action shows. And then following that was the second Linux action show. And I got to address a very important topic to me, and that was how can non-developers contribute and be a part of the Linux community, because what I had found very early on was I wanted to give back. The Linux community had given me something. They would provided me with a well-paying job. They provided me with a lot of technology that I couldn't just couldn't have afforded to purchase on my own if I had to purchase the proprietary software alternatives. So what could I do about that? And what I found was that everyone was asking for development. You could donate to, to projects, but a lot of projects weren't really set up in a, in a streamlined fashion. Some people would say, email me for donations. Some places had, like, you know, PayPal links or something like that. But a lot of projects didn't have a streamlined way to donate to them. And the projects that did were large projects like the Mozilla Foundation, where my $25, $30, $50, $100 is not going to make a huge difference. Every little bit helps, it's not going to make a huge difference. And so I wanted to contribute to Gourmet Recipe Manager that I've, I've really come to enjoy. I wanted to contribute to Ca- uh, Kazam screen recorder because I used it all the time. And I, I found it very difficult to have any meaningful contribution to projects like that. And so in that episode of last, one of the first ones I ever did, we talked about how you as a non-developer can contribute to projects. And I realized sitting there, it was uh, it was kind of a catch-22 because at the same time that I had realized that there was a way for non-developers to... I went on the air to talk about how not how you couldn't really contribute if you weren't a developer and that was a struggle I faced and as I sat there it dawned on me this is how I can contribute back I can use my voice I can use my blabber because no one's ever told me I don't have something to say and I'm an expert on my own opinion <laughs> I can use that to give back to the community and that I think that really set me off on, on a direction and it also it, it fueled me up for the rest of the rest of the run of last really I kind of I kind of uh, rode off of that So thanks again, sweet Lou. We really appreciate the call. Great to have you on the Ask Noah Show. Hey guys, we need your help to spread the Ask Noah Show word. We would love to get more audience for the show. We'd love to get more support for the show. And of course, we want to grow the show so that we can make a bigger and better show for you. There's a couple different ways to do that. We would love to hear your feedback about this episode or any episode, really. You can do that on our web forum, asknoahshow.reddit.com. Follow us on Twitter, at Ask Noah Show, follow us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Ask er, I'm sorry, Facebook.com slash Ask Noah Show. All these resources and more can be found on what we're calling the Ask Noah dashboard. That's your single point of reference for the Ask Noah show. There you'll find links to the live shows, all of our pre-recorded shows, as well as a way to subscribe to the RSS feeds. Now, this is a way that you can subscribe on your mobile device or on your computer to get the shows automatically downloaded. Your device. So head over to AskNoahShow.com dot com, and right at the bottom there we have some links that you can click on. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can use Pocket Casts on the Android platform, which is how I get my pocket or how I get my podcasts. It's a great way for you to stay up to date with the show. AskNoahShow.com, dot com, the Ask Noah dashboard. Architect is calling from Texas. Hi, Architect. How are you?
0: Hey, no, I'm doing all right. How are you?
1: Uh, Excellent. How can we help today?
0: Uh, I'm just calling in about uh, um, Linux file systems because as Linux is becoming more and more uh, adapted and widespread, uh, the file systems have really lagged behind. I mean, ButterFS was a uh, pretty promising project, but they've just crashed and burned so many times. And, uh, I mean, the BSD Guys, and the Lumos guys have uh, have ZFS and Hammer, which are both fantastic systems, and they're working on Hammer too, but uh, ZFS on Linux isn't really going anywhere fast either. Uh, just kind of wondering you know, where does that leave Linux when as great as our kernel and hardware support is, we, we don't have an awesome file system to back it up.
1: Well... I'll tell you what. I first of all, I guess I somewhat disagree with your premise. Um, I believe that there is a lot of momentum on ZFS on Linux. I think that um, we have we had a machine that was running the boot on ZFS, and it wasn't a great choice, but it worked. But I, I have see, every time it seems like there's something that is iterated in Linux. It seems like we get more support for ZFS things on Linux. So I think there is a lot of forward momentum. I don't necessarily always think they're the best at advertising it. Um, But beyond that, I guess what I notice is uh, a lot of times the file system is good enough. And I kind of wonder if that's not where we are with Linux today, where we can have a discussion about how the file system should move forward. And certainly we should because the reality is that's something that Apple kind of drops the ball on, right? But... EXT4 is what I'm using on my laptop, and it's actually worked very, very well. In fact, I have it with Lux. We have ZFS back at the studio; that seems to work very well. Of course, you know Chris has his own rants about butterFS, but um, my suggestion is is to consider the fact that when you have a a file system on Linux, the the very Linux mentality is that you take these people that are experts in their own field. So the guy that develops EXT4 is the guy who knows everything there is to know about EXT4, and he's developing it on Linux. And you get that, you know, master of one trade, and then you take all of those projects together, and cumulatively that forms, you know, a very cohesive, very robust product. You know... As worried as I get sometimes for the future of the Linux desktop, coming to conferences has always put a smile on my face. And I see people here and I'm reminded of that because Apple doesn't have fests forming around the country. Apple has WWDC and it is put on by Apple and they dictate from top to bottom how the event is going to go. This is a very different feel. We're not being marketed to here. We're making meaningful friendships over a shared passion for free and open source software. And of course, Linux. All right, one eight five five four five zero NOAA. That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. Taking your calls live and your questions live from the beautiful Pacific Northwest at Linux Fest Northwest. Hey, speaking of meaningful friendships, sitting next to me is a perfect example of a longtime friend. Somebody that I have just met for the first time in person, but I've known for quite some time, Mr. Martin Wimpress is the man who brought you the highly refined Ubuntu Mate. Hi, Martin, or Wimpy, as we affectionately call you. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hello, Noah. Hey, it's a pleasure to see you. You see, Wimpy created the Ubuntu Mate project not because he wanted to make millions of dollars off of his skills as a software engineer, but because he wanted the best possible experience for his friends and family. And again, that sense of community, that just doesn't exist on other platforms. But it does exist with Linux. And Wimpy, as you're aware, there's an uncomfortable conversation going on about the Mac platform and its credible threat to Linux. And we have seen Apple recently come out and say that they are doubling down on their hardware platform. So I guess my first question to you is, why is the 16 gigabyte limitation on the MacBook a big deal for
3: developers? Well, in my experience, um, talking to developers on multiple platforms, Mm -hmm. uh, they're often targeting Ubuntu at the back end. So that means that on their workstations, they're having to run up VMs and they're using uh, contemporary development environments and IDEs, and in order to run those VMs and test their deployments locally, mm-hmm. they need plenty of RAM to run up multiple virtual machines to, that mimic their deployment environment. So um, it's not so much about CPU horsepower, to some extent storage, but RAM is the, the the commodity that's most most in in demand.
1: So, playing devil's advocate, isn't the isn't Docker specifically designed to solve the problem of running? On any operating system, but uh, you know being able to test in any environment
3: yeah, certainly containers you know uh, uh, reduce that overhead um, and there are developers that are using containers you know lexd and um, and Docker and what have you um, and that reduces the burden, but a lot of people are still using things like Vagrant and Virtualbox and uh, you know VMware for, mm. for their local testing so RAM is still. At a commodity, you know, it's a consideration when you're working, especially now with your browsers. You've got your browser windows open, multiple tabs for your research. You've got your IDEs and your debuggers running. It's all sucking up RAM. Sure. So eight gigs is an absolute minimum, and that's like you're going to hit a hard limit there pretty quickly when you're running all that stuff. Sixteen gig is sort of a comfortable entry-level requirement for a developer, in my opinion, and certainly what I. what is borne out through my experience is talking to developers using a range of, you know, laptops and hardware for, for their development platforms. Do you think Docker
1: is at a point containers in general, do you think they are at a point where they are they are reliable enough, they are accurate enough to be able to actually test software development. I was speaking with a couple of oh, yeah. developers and they were saying that still they run into some issues where they like to go back to the bare metal and actually test on Linux as if they were on a Linux server. Do you think there's any
3: validity to that? Um, some, you know. So in my past, I've, I've worked on large data center and cluster compute and, and all of that sort of stuff. And certainly we found, uh, particularly with database servers, and this is, these are large clusters of database servers where you need high transaction throughput, we've tried them in vms we've tried them in containers and we went back to the metal for, for the for the database servers interesting yeah because we, we that that 2 or 3% that you lose you you miss yeah so but that's the only environment where i found that there was a legitimate you know measurable Requirement to move away from containers. Now, that won't be true for everybody, but for the systems that I was working on at the time, that that, that made enough of a difference for us sure. to move away from containers sure. for databases. Interesting. Okay. And these are SQL databases, not like the NoSQL stuff.
1: Electron is a is huge in the development ecosystem, specifically in Linux right now, and yet it's highly criticized by a lot in the a, a, a large portion of the Linux community. Talk about that for a minute.
3: Well, it's, it is. It's it's sort of creating, it's a bit divisive. You know, when you, you look back through sort of uh, Linux desktop history, there have been other projects that, that have been received in the same way that Electron is right now. And mm-hmm. um, one of those would be Mono. You know, a lot of people were, w- would refuse to install software that was built on top of Mono, you know, 10 years ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and Electro- Electron's getting a bad reputation through the voices of a minority. And it's unfortunate because I think Electron is... is very important to the success of desktop Linux. Why is that? Well, Microsoft are developing Linux applications right now. One of those is uh, Visual Studio Code Mm -hmm. that's implemented on top of Electron. Adobe uh, have got one product that runs on Linux and that's implemented in Electron. That's their Brackets Code Editor. You've got the organisations like um, uh, GitHub working on their Atom Code Editor as well. Mm -hmm. But then you've got organisations like um, Skype they're developing their new uh, Linux client that's an Electron application and I hear that you know that that may well evolve into their cross-platform implementation so what started out as a project on Linux uh, running on Electron will become the Windows and Mac OS version in time so when you've got these organizations who are now able to develop using web technologies where, where there are thousands and thousands of developers. You know that, That's the, the biggest skill set for developers that's mm-hmm. out there. Um, you take that and now these people can create desktop applications using those technologies that they're familiar with and you've got large organizations who are delivering their desktop applications through Electron. It now means that they can target the Linux desktop for free without having to deal with do I make this a GTK application? Do I make it a Qt application? Do I use some abstracted toolkit like Wix? And then it's neither one thing nor the other. And then you have all the complexity of packaging as well for Linux. So we're seeing a lot of innovation on the desktop right now. It's happening in Electron. And for the first time, it's a technology that Linux can benefit from almost for free with with minimal developer uh, effort. So I, I think it's really important, you know, Slack Mattermost Gitter Rocket Chat uh, Discord uh, itch.io which is uh, an indie game engine so like steam lite you know if you like these are all electron applications
1: as a software development company if I'm Adobe and I'm looking at developing software and I say I want to write a piece of software and I don't I want to keep my cost low because I want the return on investment to be high if I'm doing that in native language if I'm writing native applications for Mac or for Windows, then I'm having to develop that twice. Yeah. Even if I don't even consider Linux. Now if we write it for Electron, then that would scale, is my understanding that right? It would scale from Windows to Mac to Linux, and the, the code base is the same between all of them?
3: The code, uh, In almost all cases, it would be the same code in all places. There are su- some cases where you need a little bit of nuance between the Mac version and the Windows version, but it's not like, like doing this in Java, and it's not like doing this in Python. You know, They're very minimal changes. And the more important thing is it's not just about the development effort, but if you have your application implemented three different ways that's three different support engineers that need to understand how that product works with Electron it's one product one code base one support team
1: software is not something that we just throw out there and it's done it's a constant ongoing process let's back up for a moment let's say there's somebody out there and they don't understand exactly what Electron is tell me at a basic level what does Electron do what is it
3: Uh, You can think of Electron as a slimmed-down trim Chromium browser. Okay. And then on top of that, there are some integrations that exist to hook in APIs to the desktop environments. So when you build your Electron application on macOS, it understands what the macOS menu bar is and how to uh, implement status indicators on macOS. Mm -hmm. And all of the Chrome, you know, the the window controls and the buttons, they're all reflected Mm -hmm. in a native way. And the the same works on Windows and notifications are presented in a native way on those platforms and the same is true on Linux. So you write your application once, you ask your Electron application to display a notification, on each of those platforms you get native notifications displayed. Or you want to put icons in the system tray, they all appear like native indicators and all of the Chrome and controls. But then it's a web application in that view and you completely control the UI and the workflow and how, how that application operates.
1: Let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about what what is the difference between a view-only application in Chrome and then how we can add buttons to actually interface into native buttons that can interface into that, that
3: application. Yeah, so in, in its simplest form, a view would be just reflect this existing website mm-hmm. that's on the web over HTTPS or whatever. Uh, and just display it inside this window. Mm -hmm. That's a fairly poor example of what Electron can do.
1: So in that example though, I would have a separate application launcher, I would have my minimize and maximize buttons aside from my Chrome window or Firefox. Exactly,
3: yeah, so it looks like an application, you can maximize and minimize it, you can have a launcher for it to start it, stop it. But where it gets really interesting is you can bundle all of the assets that make up that application Mm -hmm. inside that Electron application. So now all of the JavaScript all of the html all of the css and then things interesting things like the ffmpeg library for example so let's think about something like Skype for Linux that ships with its own ffmpeg library that they interface with so it all stands alone it doesn't have to call out to a web page to render the site the whole app the whole application sorry about that listeners is uh, is rendered inside so the whole thing's self-contained that's fascinating
1: and my first question when I first was hearing about how this could potentially benefit Linux is what i really like to see is software like Adobe After Effects Adobe Photoshop, Premiere some of these very highly you know, very powerful software that isn't going to necessarily be available on Linux but that a company like Adobe would like to probably push to the cloud and have one software code base my question to you is do you think Electron is powerful enough to handle those kinds of software? I, th-
3: I think we can say yes already today. If we look at Skype for Linux, you know we've got audio and video streaming going on there and multi-party calls, so we know it can handle audio and um, video multiplexing just fine. Look at Discord, that's high-quality, low-latency audio, definitely does that. And and even at the more sophisticated end of things, you know I.O., which is basically a game platform which is exposing OpenGL at the moment, mm-hmm. and then that could be Vulkan in the future, but it's exposing all of that 3D acceleration through Electron as well.
1: So, we definitely have performance on, right now, on, uh, on Linux. Yes,
3: yeah, so, on, so, on Electron, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So, some would argue that Electron is bloat and overhead, and that's why a lot of p- those detracted, focusing on that, you know, that it's, it's a browser and it's JavaScript and it's not on the metal as optimal as it could be. But these days, I think it's more important that if we want nice things, we need to embrace Electron, because if Adobe choose to pr- produce creative cloud in a way that runs on all of the platforms, then certainly Electron is going to be the way they do that. Wow.
1: I had an opportunity to speak with some folks at System76, a manufacturer that makes c- computers born to run Linux, and they shared with me some of their sales numbers, and they are through the roof right now for their new development machine, their Galico Pro, which is a machine basically custom-designed for software developers, and the the competitive advantage that they're selling is that it runs on Linux. My question to you is, as a developer yourself who is running Linux, why is it that developers are so drawn to Linux as a development platform?
3: My personal reasons are probably different from the majority of developers that are out there. Okay. Uh, My reasons are is that I like Linux. I want to run a Linux desktop, because that's what I that's what I've been using for the last 20 odd years and I want to continue to use it suits me well most developers are working on web technologies somewhere either back end or front end services and linux and ubuntu provide all of the tooling that you need to develop those applications and test them and where we see macOS becoming popular in the de- development community is through Brew, they can pull in all of those Linux tools onto their Mac. And for as long as Apple aren't meeting the hardware requirements that those developers require, talking to developers, it's not the hardware or the desktop that is attractive to developers. It's all of that Unix underpinning and tooling that is most valuable. So I've been presenting at a lot of conferences and and language meetups uh, around London. I've been talking to developers who, uh, by and large are using mac os OS and macs or at least that's how it appears but when you start to ask them who's using mac os and who's using ubuntu straw poll tells me uh uh, you can if i'm talking to 200 people i can measure on one or two hands how many people are using windows Mm -hmm. Um, about half the audience will be using mac hardware Mm -hmm. and mac os and there's some people that abstain but about a quarter of the people are running ubuntu and i was surprised by that because all i could see was macs and and apparently over the last year there's been a lot of people who have got macs that are moving back to ubuntu because it's a more favorable development uh, environment for them and they're looking at replacing their macs with uh, in particular like the Dell XPS 13 is very attractive to them because yeah they've got decent hardware because, you know, Apple have made very attractive hardware devices. Oh, yeah, they have for a long time. And now we've got the likes of Dell and System76 and Entroware and Tuxedo who are producing, you know, designed to run Linux laptops that are attractive to developers. And the key thing is is all of those laptops go from 16 gigs and upwards.
1: As a developer of a particular flavor and blessed distribution of Linux, talk to me about what major overhauls are needed for Linux to be ready for developers? What, what major overhauls are, or if any, are developers looking for in Linux? Or is it maybe just minor tweaks?
3: Uh, yeah, it's certainly that. I don't know if you saw, but a couple of weeks ago, um, Dustin Kirkland, who's one of the product managers at Canonical, posted on, uh, on one of the Reddits asking for people's feedback about what they needed from Ubuntu for it to improve. So this was Ubuntu proper. And it was interesting because people weren't asking for a massive overhaul of everything. You could pull out a number of things that people wanted to see just improve and come up to speed with what the likes of macOS offer. And it was things like the touchpad support. The touchpad support needed to be tighter, it needed to do gestures, it needed to be a drop-in replacement for what macOS is doing. It was things like Bluetooth, just needed to work reliably all the time, uh, it was things like high DPI needed to be better, and multi-monitor support needed to be tighter. So those were like the ones I, I really picked out as being important. <laughs> but it wasn't I need a whole new desktop interface, or you know I need some sweeping change to the underpinnings of the operating system. It was just like basically how I interface with the device needed to be better, and that's something that you know Apple do nail, you know, they do get that stuff right. And that's what, you know, I I took away from that that stuff, just more refinement and tighter integration.
1: That makes perfect sense. Hopefully now, as this landscape is is changing in the world we're all focusing on gnome 3 hopefully there's a lot of resources now that can be diverted towards making a lot of those tweaks you recently attended a conference and i know we were talking about this and you had a lot of people you convinced a lot of people that you had mac os running on this on this computer just kind of the way you themed
3: it yeah. talk about
1: that tell me the story
3: so um one of the computers i have is an introware apollo a first gen intro apollo w- which physically looks just like a macbook <laughs> you, you, indistinguishable So I took that and I installed uh, Ubuntu Mate 17.10, which is the current development version. And uh, we have a a switcher that makes it look a bit like, you know, Mac OS. Mm -hmm. Um, And We're working on some improvements in 17.10, which include a better global menu, and we've tightened up that mac os like theme mm-hmm. so i had that running and the new dark theme that we have in ubuntu mate and there were audible oohs and ahs from the audience and, and people were asking what version of mac os i was running and how did i theme it to look that way and how could they do it and then i had to fess up and explain well this isn't mac os <laughs> a lot of times
1: when i go to conferences i see a lot of people having trouble with the display port on their macbook so oh, they walk the up to the projector and it's almost kind of an assume that you just restart the computer before you go up and present
3: yeah every time I go to these things and present the, the advice is plug the HDMI port in and reboot because mm-hmm. that's what they tell everyone with a Mac and, and I haven't been to a conference where I've seen somebody stand up with a Mac and plug in an external d- display just works so I kind of enjoy going up there with my Ubuntu, and some of them are a bit cheeky. They're like, oh, you know, Martin's up next, and he hasn't got a Mac, so this might take a while. Mm-hmm. And it's like, actually, you know, plug in the HDMI port and the display appears either side of me, and I make a point of pointing out, look, this isn't a Mac, and it isn't Mac OS, but did you see how that just worked and I didn't have to reboot? You right. know? I have had a round of applause on one occasion doing that.
1: And we get, we get a lot of people that say, well, Macs just work. Well, they do until you try to connect them to something, and then they don't. Again, one eight five five four five zero 450 no one eight five five four five zero six 624. Martin Wimpress is joining me this hour. you okay taking some calls? Sure. Great. We'll take some questions. So call in if you have a question for Wimpy or myself. We'll put your call live on the air. Wimpy, do you think... Um, I know you have the HP Spectra, which is a fantastic computer. Do you think that these high-end laptops uh, that either ship with Linux, like the XPS 13, or the Spectra, which just works flawlessly out of the box with Linux, do you think that those are going to have a significant impact in developers who are looking for a different platform?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the Spectre is kind of interesting in that, you know, that isn't a device you can get running Linux out of the box. Right. But it, it, stop. it happens to be 100% compatible, which I was delighted to find out. Um, I think more interesting to developers are the devices that ship with a Linux on board sure. so you know the Dell XPS range and now the precision range that they've got, they're two in ones I mean they've really expanded their portfolio oh yes and System76 that are just opposite from us now they've got an increasing range of devices and, and they're really going you, iterating forward yeah you know with their own designs and their own hardware and their own cases and what have you and I think those sorts of things will be attractive because like it or not the the styling of the Mac hardware is very very appealing And people that have had hardware like that aren't going to want to step away from something like that to something of a clunker of a laptop. So the XPS 13s and what the Galago Pro has and what Entroware do and Tuxedo. I mean, they're a German company. They have their new uh, Infinity Book Pro 13. It's a really, really slick device. Um, And I think that developers, their time is important to them. Having a device that runs Linux out of the box, so they don't have to do that whole use Windows to update the firmware, firmware OS. Just get it, install stuff, and go.
1: Firmware OS is one thing. The other thing is support from the vendor as well, right? Because if I take like I so I just purchased this uh, Lenovo ThinkPad X270. Came in today, fantastic piece of hardware, right? Took me four tries to get the actual proper configuration of this thing, but now that I have it. They did a very good job. The build quality is excellent. The features are excellent. The feature stack for the price I paid, I can't find anywhere else. The issue, though, is had Linux not worked out of the box, and it did, but had it not, I would have had no support from the vendor. In fact, yeah. even returning the computer without having to reinstall Windows would have been a problem. So I think being able to pull that computer out of the box and just get to work, that yeah. is, I think that's a big part for developers. Again, 1-855-450-NOAA, that's one eight five five. 4506624. We'll take your calls on the air, your question for Wimpy and me. Wimpy, tell me a little bit again about how you, uh, why you got into the Ubuntu Mate development.
3: Well, Mate itself I got into because I was, I was an Arch uh, user at the time. Uh, my wife was running GNOME 3 on Arch and she didn't like it and uh, I installed Mate on her laptop. And there were some bugs in the Arch implementation, and I started fixing those. And I kind of just got sucked into it because I wanted my wife to have a trouble-free experience on on Mate. Uh, So that was my introduction to Mate. And then um, it's a well-known story, but ultimately Alan Pope, uh, a Popey, came up with the very first version of Ubuntu Mate and kind of sucked me in. And I, I could see it solving a problem for me because I'd moved my family over to Arch Linux, mm-hmm. running Mate, and visiting family at sort of you know three monthly four monthly intervals, maintaining Arch from afar, on that kind of cadence was a nightmare. It just wasn't working for them. So when Alan came up with the idea of Ubuntu Mate, I was like, well, they used to use Ubuntu, they've used this desktop paradigm before. Mm-hmm the update mechanisms and the way that they can install software and their familiarity, this could work for me. So I really created it to keep them on on Linux because I I have no interest in supporting Mac OS X and Windows. You know, it doesn't interest me at all. I'd rather put the effort into making something for that and to keep them on the thing that I'm interested in. For
1: your in. friends and family. That, yeah. It's a very community-centered focus. Talk to me about how having living in a in a slightly less technical community has given you some insight to maybe how you can better develop an operating system tailored towards people that just want to get work done on Linux.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously here, everyone has a, a degree of technical competent, competency that is Cut above, their, you know, most people. So when I, you know, talk to people when I'm out and about, uh, you know, down the pub and what have you, and they explain things that they uh, want to be able to do, you know, they'll say, "Why can't I just, you know, click a button and install Google Chrome?" And for somebody who's not technical, that's a perfectly reasonable request, right? You know, why should they have to know? They have to open up a terminal and they have to type in all of these magical incantations in order to get, you know, Google Chrome installed on their machine. Uh, And so I sort of took feedback like that, uh, and from my family, more so at the outset. And that's where Ubuntu Mate Welcome and the software boutiques are the genesis of those projects. It's actually a virtual Martin, you know, it's something that does all the things I know my friends and family need to get done without them having to phone me up.
1: You are speaking to a person in your community or somebody around here that says, I like what this guy is saying. I want to do that. I don't want to be beholden to Mac OS. I don't want to be beholden to Windows. I want to own my technology. I want privacy. I don't want the, my, software, my, my operating system software company to sell my exploits to the NSA before they tell me about it but they don't know where to get started. What, how can somebody get started in Linux?
3: Well, if you're, if you're completely new to the Linux world, you're going to need to find yourself a support network. You're going to to find some people who can help you on your journey and get you started. Now, if you're a self-starter, you may be able to do that by Googling stuff on the Internet and finding your way on your own. But my advice would be uh, find a Linux user group near you Uh, and actually go down with your computer or your spare laptop or a Raspberry Pi and actually go and speak to people that are experienced and explain what you want to achieve. (laughs) There are always people at LUGS that will be happy to help you. Now in some parts of the world LUGS are few and far between and not very well attended. So that's kind of difficult. So what we're doing now, <laughs> a podcast mm-hmm. like this, mm-hmm. this is another way to access those kinds of people. So Ask Noah is a great way for people that are level one on Linux that want to get started. Uh, there's a, another great podcast, which is very uh, f- focused on helping uh, people get started, and that's the Going Linux podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, These are places that you can access information in your own time, at your own pace, and you've got a feedback loop to ask those people for, for help and assistance. So, you know, either LUGS or online communities. Um, when you're choosing the online communities, choose well. I would I would say avoid Reddit. Don't, don't go looking for your community support in Reddit. Because, oh, yeah? Why is that? Uh, it can be a bit hostile, especially to people who are overtly new to the community. So I would say go to, you know, pick a distribution that uh, you're interested in. Uh, and maybe go to their official support forums. You'll probably get a much warmer welcome. Very good. Wimpy, would you like to take some calls with me? We
1: can try. Phone lines one 450 noah That's one 450 6624 Timothy is calling from Virginia. Hi, Timothy. Welcome to the Ask NOAH Show. Hi. I'm calling in. I've been a long time
0: with Timothy, like can I help you? just really happy you guys have a Go ahead.
1: Okay. No, I was just going to say if you could speak directly in your phone, but you're doing it now. How can we help? Oh. So, my issue is
0: I'm what recently is a Linux. Linux. I'm becoming a Unix administrator in a week, so I wanted to make sure I got my feedback and grounded into it. But, I'm having a problem with these 6 and I'm only having it on Linux. I don't have it on any other systems. <coughs>
1: Okay. Can so, you describe the so problem? Essentially
0: the is, so essentially what the issue is, is, when I'm trying to go to any website that has an IPv6 address, I keep getting error connection. Access. I've tried Googling. I'm pretty good solver on my own, but everything I'm getting is saying that it's going to be a modem or router, but there's nothing not wrong with my other system.
1: And turning off
3: IPv6 and no network utility, I don't have the problem anymore. But I'd really like to be able to access IPv6 address. Wimpy? I've done so little with IPv6, I'm next to useless for this,
1: I'm afraid. I have have actually had the same issue. You know, I have had, uh, had, when I first switched to Arch, had an IPv6 uh, address, and if I left IPv6 on, it just didn't work. And weirder yet... Do you find that when you go to other places, it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't? Yeah, it's
0: like 70% of the time it works, but so it really sucks because a lot of websites I'm like, logging in or doing something on a secure site, and then I'll reset the connection and then
1: log me out. Sure. Yeah, I... Uh, so, I guess I, I don't have a great... I don't have an answer that I'm really proud of, but the answer that I have for you is we just gotta wait, and I think it is going to... I think it's going to sort itself out. Uh, the... It, it, uh, it, the IPv6 thing is. I think it's coming there. We're just not quite there yet, and I think we're going to get there very, very quickly. And when it does, then it's going to be, then it's going to be really great. So uh, that's my suggestion to you: is leave IPv6 off, and uh, and 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 uh, we'll get to it eventually. Donald is ca- calling from Langley, Virginia. Hi, Donald. How are you? Make sure to listen to the Ask Noah Noah show this week. People are saying, some people by the way, they're saying that it is the best, most tremendous podcast ever. You know it, I know it, Vladdy knows it, everyone knows it, Mondays at 6 p.m. Central. Be there or get deported. Uh... Thanks, Mr. President. That's, that is a very unexpected call. I did not expect to, to speak with you, but I appreciate your listenership to the Ask Noah show. I would, I would really encourage you to stay tuned for a future episode. We'll be back on Monday at 6 p.m., Mr. President, and I would really appreciate it if you'd give a nod to open source software and make that a priority in your administration. We know that you want to make Linux great again, and we at the Ask Noah show... Are here to support you. Elijah is calling right here from Linux Fest Northwest. Hi, Elijah. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, how's it going? Hi, Elijah. How can we help? Oh, oh, oh! Elijah is not calling. Elijah is on microphone, but Elijah is also somehow in my, uh, in my, in my screening room. Hi, Elijah. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh my gosh. How can we help today? Well you and wimpy were talking about laptops and your laptop I know is what
0: 26 2700 uh-huh. uh, wimpy's is also very expensive um, the Galago Pro is a thousand dollars plus uh-huh. so are there any laptops that you guys would recommend that's 500 bucks somewhere in that range maybe a little less maybe a little more but somewhere in that range um, that you know is can do what your guys do just maybe not quite as extravagant
3: wimpy um, well. Until recently, I hadn't been buying new computers to run, to run Linux on. I've had a, a, a lot of success actually uh, picking secondhand devices up off eBay. Um, you can get, you know, uh, two-year-old, barely-used uh, Think, Lenovo Thinkpads and Dells, and you can easily come in under $500 for a decent device, you know, with uh, dual or quad-core processors, um, 8 gigs of RAM, and these devices can be upgraded so you can, uh, at a later date, when you've got a bit more money, upgrade the RAM and also take out like the spinning disks and replace those with SSDs in the future. So mm-hmm. those are ways you can get get on board with a decent computer now and, and then upgrade the RAM and the, and the SSD at a later date. And I've been doing that with ThinkPads for a long while. Great. My suggestion is
1: there is a computer, and I actually have one, if you'd like to take a look at it and see what you think of it. It is an HP, and it is a $250 HP that you can buy brand new off of Amazon for about $300 with a 128 gig SSD, 8 gigs of RAM, and a 6th generation i5. It's Mm -hmm. about $300. It will come with the warranty. It's Prime eligible. 1080p display. The build quality is not fantastic because it is a plastic laptop, Mm -hmm. but it's a very affordable laptop. And I, in fact, while I waited for Lenovo to get their nonsense worked out with my ThinkPad issues... I actually was able to use that HP for all of my work, and mind you, I'm doing everything from video editing for the show, mm-hmm. producing the Ask Noah show. Um, I was using the terminal to administrate servers. Uh, you know, it has enough USB ports. It has HDMI. All of the basic functionality is there. What you're giving up is build quality. Okay, it, it's not going to be okay. a, it's not going to be a physically very great built computer. Um, that would be my suggestion. I can give you a link to it as well as you can actually get a hands-on demo while you're here at Linux Fest Northwest. Does that make sense to you? I makes sense. Thank you very much. You know,
3: and, the, and the other thing I would say is this is, is no use to you whatsoever. But by the power of the internet, there are people listening to this from all over the world. And if you're in the UK, then Entroware do have entry-level systems that start at about 300 pounds. So that's a brand new computer uh, which they'll ship running either Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate. So you can get a new machine in any okay. sort of form factor, from 13 inch to 15 inches, but sadly for you, only in Europe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> real, real quick, is it better to buy a brand new machine that's
3: two, three hundred dollars, or a three-year-old machine that was, you know, a thousand dollars brand new? Would um, be, from my point of view, it depends. But I would say that you you've got a support. Uh, option with a new computer from a vendor that's selling you a device that runs Linux. So if that's important to you, go that route. If, you, if you're happy to refurbish your own gear, then buy something uh, second-hand.
1: My suggestion too is I think you can get a lot more bang for your buck buying used. So buying a used ThinkPad with a, with a later-gen i5, but maybe somebody else took the hit, you're going to be able to get a significant discount and get a very good computer. I actually purchased almost all of my computers that way. Thanks for stopping by, Elijah. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys, 1 855 450 Noah. Actually, we're running out of time here. Uh, we're live from the show floor. Again, Linux Fest Northwest in beautiful Bellingham, Washington. Myself and the JB team are working very hard all day. You can find us the rest of the day at jblive.tv once we are off the air. Wimpy, thanks so much for taking the time to stop by and chat with us. I really appreciate it. If people wanted to find out more information about you and the projects you work
3: on, where could they go? Uh, well, a couple of places. Um, I do a podcast as well uh, with, with some friends of mine. Uh, that's a Ubuntu Podcast. You can find that at ubuntupodcast.org. Uh, and you can find Ubuntu Mate uh, inconveniently at ubuntu-mate.org. And that's the project that I work on in my spare time.
1: Wimpy, thank you so much for being with us on the Ask No Show. And thank you, a big thank you, to not only uh, for what the efforts that you're putting forward to get people on Linux, and of course, huge thank you to Chris, Angela, the entire JB team for making this show possible. That brings us to the end of this week's episode we'll be back Monday at 6 p.m. Central that's right in just a couple of days huge thanks to Ben our producer Sarah our call screener Rakai our video editor we'll hand it off to Doug Batchelor coming up next on Locust Radio 88.3 LPFM